Well, I also want to welcome you to Big Valley Grace Community Church here on the Modesto campus, as well as everyone who's with us online on our online campus. If it's your first time here today, I want you to know we're really glad that you're here. We're a local assembly of believers who have gathered together for one purpose, and that's to worship Jesus Christ and to lift up his name. And I hope that today's a great encouragement to you. Hey, thank you very much. And uh, we're really glad you're here. I hope today's a, just a great encouragement to you as you're with us. We're, we're glad that you've joined us today. I want to encourage everyone to be utilizing the Grace Transforms journals. These are available for free for download on our website if you don't have a physical copy. Uh, I've been using this every morning on my own. My family at mealtimes has been using this. We'll, we'll read the scripture and we'll read the devotion. In fact, there's a number of families that we had the privilege to host in our home this week. And we had uh, the devotional time with them, too, just around the mealtime. Our small group, my small group, meets once a week. We're utilizing this as well. Our online campus is putting out resources every day that go right along with this Grace Transforms journal. And I would, I would encourage you to take advantage of the resources that are available online. All of that, the whole team has really worked hard to align, really to help you, to bring equipping to you, uh, resource and tools to you as you're walking with Jesus Christ. So I just my encouragement would be that you would take full advantage of it. And I would continue to encourage you in this way to really consider how you can be on mission in your neighborhood and partner with others. I'd love to see a life group on mission for Jesus Christ in every neighborhood. A group of people working together, you know, working together, teaming and partnering together for the gospel. Say, how can we reach people? How can we disciple people right here in our neighborhood. We've encouraged you with neighborhood meetups. This weekend, many people are doing neighborhood meetups. Uh, yesterday, today, or tomorrow on the holiday. Uh, I, I did mine yesterday. I had two different parties yesterday. And a person in my small group, a guy in my small group, we were very strategic in who we invited because we're trying to build relationship. We're trying to build bridges of communication uh, in my neighborhood. And I would encourage you to think like that. And to think, like, how can you take some strategic moments uh, to build communication so that you can build relationship with people for the opportunity to share Christ with them? We're in a series together this weekend uh, that we continue in called Grace Transforms. We're in this series for 12 weeks. And I want to go for a few basics. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. But before we get into the text, I want to go over a couple things. One is the name of our church, Big Valley Grace Community Church. If I were to put that name in a sentence, I would say it like this. We want to reach this big central valley with the grace of Jesus Christ in community with his church. Our name it has its name for a reason. And we want to reach this big central valley with the grace of Jesus Christ in community with his church. The purpose of our church is that the church, its purpose is to bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. It's the reason that I asked for our team to do the song that we just sang called To God Be the Glory. I wanna to read to you the first verse. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. The glory of God is so tightly connected with the fact that God has brought salvation to us. That song, that song that we sang together, it was written by Fanny Crosby in 1872, 1872, in New York. She was blind from a very young age. She went to the uh, New York School for the Blind. She wrote thousands of hymns. Iris Sankey and D.L. Moody, they heard this hymn and they took it with them on crusades for Jesus Christ in Great Britain in the late 1800s. 
it was so well received, it became very popularized in, in Britain, people singing this song. Cliff Barrows and Billy Graham in the 1950s went to Great Britain to do crusades, and they heard how people were responding to this song, To God Be the Glory, and how people would sing so loudly in response to God, To God Be the Glory, that they then brought it back to the United States in 1954 in Tennessee, where it then became popular in the United States. This song, it doesn't belong to an age of person. It belongs to the church. The church has been singing this song for 150 years around the world. And today, we enter in and join with them in singing this song. And it's all to God and his glory. He's the one that all of worship is for. The mission of our church is to love God, love people, and make disciples. And I did an entire sermon on this at the end of our Gospel of Matthew series, and I would encourage you, if you want to know more about the mission of our church, to enjoy that sermon. But this is about the first priority God has set out, the second that is like it, love God, love people, and the commission that he has sent us on to go and to make disciples. If you take the name of our church, the purpose of our church, and the mission of our church, and you hone it in and point it in a direction, that's where you get Vision. Vision is about setting direction, a direction that we're heading together. And if you take the name of our church, the purpose of our church, and the mission of our church, and you point it in the direction of your neighborhood, that's where we're getting this phrase that we've been using, love your actual neighbor. Love your actual neighbor. This means every member of the body of Christ being led by the power of the Holy Spirit of God to evangelize and disciple our actual neighbors and lead them to do the same. This phrase here, every member of the body of Christ, Every member of the body of Christ becomes a member of the body of Christ in one way, and that is when the grace of God transforms their life. That is why we're going through a series called Grace Transforms, because we recognize that it's only by the grace of God transforming our lives. And today we continue in that series, and I would share this, that grace transforms residents of earth into citizens of heaven who believe in Jesus Christ. And these two weeks, this is the second week we've been looking at, believe. Grace transforms residents of earth into citizens of heaven who believe in Jesus Christ. I want to share with you a story. This is the picture of the gray stake that is in front of my home. And this last week, I had a great conversation with someone who, show, who shared this story with me. He came up to me and said, Pastor Joel, I want to share with you about my experience with the gray stake. Yeah. He said, my coworker and I, we go door to door knocking on homes. We went to 106 homes two Sundays ago, the Sunday that you handed out the gray stakes for the first time. And we walked up to one house out of 106 homes. There was one house that had a gray stake. And they must have just put it out because it was that weekend you handed them out. And so I told my coworker, you see that sign right? See that gray stake right there? That person goes to Big Valley Grace Community Church. That's the church I go to. We literally just handed out these gray stakes at church this weekend. So like within 24 hours of handing out, this person has put their gray stake. This person goes to my church. You see that gray stake? This person goes to my, we just did that. He's telling his coworker this. So they go and they knock on the door. The door flies open, a huge dog runs out, a guy comes to the door yelling and cussing up a storm, lighting up the porch. And he says to me, Pastor Joel, don't you think people shouldn't like put out that gray steak until like they're ready for like that gray steak to like be in front of their home? And I said, absolutely not. That's not the point of the gray steak. What you just did is you held up the gray stake and you're now measuring him in judgment by it. If I wanted you to measure people in judgment, I'd have handed out a yardstick that had a ruler on it that had the word judgment. That's not what we did. We handed out gray stakes 
Someone in that home, you don't know if it was that guy, you don't know if it was his spouse, you don't know if it was a teenage kid. Someone in that home was at church that weekend. And someone in that home grabbed a gray steak. And someone came home within 24 hours of when they had that gray steak. And they put it in their front yard because they're asking for the grace of God to transform their home. And you may have very well just seen the reason why they are. And so instead of holding that up and judging them, why don't you thank God that someone in that home is asking for the grace of God to change them, to change their home, that their home might be changed by the grace of God. When my family had this moment right here, here's a picture before we put the gray stake in front of our home. We didn't do this because my wife and I are perfect. We didn't do this because we parent perfect. We didn't do this because we don't have tense moments where the dog runs out the front door. We did it because we're asking God, God, will you please help us claim our home for the grace of Jesus Christ? Will you transform our family by the power of the grace of Jesus Christ? Will you work through us and our family to impact this neighborhood by the grace of Jesus Christ? We didn't do it because we're perfect. We did it because we need the grace of God. He said to me, you know what? I haven't put my gray stake out yet because I didn't think I was ready. I thought I needed to get cleaned up first. But I think I'm going to go ahead and put my gray stake out now. Said, awesome. I'm glad you're going to do that. Grace transforms. And we all need the grace of God to transform our lives. What we're going to look at today is five truths that I believe in Jesus Christ out of Ephesians chapter 2. Every one of these five things, the scripture in this text teaches very clearly, and I believe all of them. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the truth. I believe that Jesus, when he says he's the truth, I believe him. I believe that Jesus is the truth. I believe his words are true. And as I look at the text of Ephesians chapter 2, I'm believing that what I find in this text is true. I'm gonna tell you about uh, the home I grew up in. This is a picture of the home I grew up in. It's literally just a couple blocks that direction. It, it, it's right over there. And these two windows right here on the right, that was my bedroom. And I wanna tell you what you would experience if you walked into this home early in the morning in my childhood. You would walk in, you'd walk into the living room and you would see my mother seated in a, sit, seated in a chair with a cup of coffee reading her Bible every morning. The earliest memories I have of my mother are her sitting in the living room reading her Bible. Think about that. I cannot think of a memory of my mom that is earlier than that, of her sitting in the living room reading her Bible. My dad was always reading his Bible. In fact, he loved reading his Bible so much, he got one of those Walkmans, you know, that's like with a cassette tape, right? So he could listen to the Bible like all the time. It was right on the other side of this wall right here where my bunk bed is when I was a kid. And on 8-6-1986, my parents had been sharing the gospel with me and I prayed to receive Jesus Christ right there. And it was at Christmas that year, just a, a few months later, that they gave me this Bible. And it has the date 12-25-1986. And my dad wrote a note in here. And in this first page of the Bible, my dad wrote down how many pages I read from the Bible in the first year I had this Bible, 91. It was very important in the home that I grew up in that we would read the Bible. My mom, my dad, an encouragement for me to do it, that the word of God would be our foundation. And I want you to know 
This is what kind of home my wife and I are trying to have also. That the word of God would be the foundation for the home. That we would read the Bible together, share the scriptures together. And I would encourage you that you would strive to have a home that is based on the foundation of the word of God. That you'd be reading the scriptures together. In Ephesians 2 and Romans 5, I would encourage you this week to study both of them side by side. Ephesians 2 and Romans 5. That's what I did this week in preparation. And I have prayed and asked God, help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to know these truths that you want presented. And I would encourage you to be praying by the power of the Holy Spirit that God would open up his word to you. In Ephesians 2 and Romans 5 also. Truth number one, I am apart from Jesus, I'm dead in my sin. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 explains this truth. Apart from Jesus, I'm dead in my sin. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It says we once walked. There's only two walks. There is the walking dead and there is the walking alive. And it says we once walked like the walking dead. And who we were following was the prince. And who is this prince? Ephesians 6, 12 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers. And we wrestle against authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In Revelation 9, 11, it, it gives the name of a king. And the name of the king is the angel of the bottomless pit. Is that not a nasty title? And as the walking dead, we march in submission to the evil king. It says that we were all carrying out. That's a term of enslavement. That everyone was enslaved. The walking dead marching to the evil king, enslaved to him. And it says that we were given this title. By nature, we were children of wrath. Because we were the walking dead marching to the evil king, enslaved under the wrath of God. And John 3.18 says that whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because we start off as the walking dead. What's the point? Rejecting Jesus is fellowship with death. Accepting Jesus is fellowship with life. Rejecting Jesus is fellowship with death. But accepting Jesus is fellowship with life. Truth number one is apart from Jesus, I'm dead in my sin. Truth number two is that God loves me and has made me alive with Jesus. God loves me. God loves you. And his desire is for us not to be walking dead, for us to be the walking alive. And that we would be alive with Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This verse starts off with two words, but God. That word right there, B-U-T, that is an incredibly beautiful word. Because it means everything prior is an utter disaster. But God shows up in the middle of the disaster and things drastically change. And what does that change? He is being rich in mercy towards us. What does that mean? That means that God, when he opens up his wallet, he has a wealth of not giving you what you deserve. That's what it means. When he's rich in mercy. His wallet is full of a wealth of not giving you what you deserve. 
But God, being rich in mercy, Titus 3, 5 through 7 says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, because we don't have any works of righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing. Imagine this, the washing, the washing of regeneration, the washing of regeneration and renewal. Can you picture that? The washing, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Can you imagine that scene? The pouring out of the Holy Spirit, washing your life, renewing your life, regenerating your life. Poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine the tallest waterfall you've ever seen, okay? I want you to have that picture in your mind. The tallest waterfall you've ever seen. Here's the problem. That waterfall is way too short, and let me explain why. Look at this. This is the Denmark cataract. The highest waterfall on top of the earth is 3,212 feet. But that is not the tallest waterfall on planet Earth because the tallest waterfall on planet Earth is actually under the water in the ocean. It's the Denmark Cataract. It's 11,500 square feet, or, or, or feet tall, I mean. It has 123 million cubic feet of water per second flowing down this cliff. That's a lot of water. I want you to imagine you were at the bottom of the Denmark cataract and 123 million cubic feet of water per second are flowing down onto your life. Do you think that would have an impact on you? Do you think that your life would be changed if 123 million cubic feet of water per second was pouring down onto you? The grace of God is far more powerful than that. And it's saying the grace of God has been poured down onto our life and has caused the washing and the renewal and the regeneration of our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine the force of the grace of God coming onto your life. It transforms you. It changes you. The grace of God changes your life. And this is all because it says in the text that he has great love for us. The great love in which he has loved us. Romans 5.15 says that his love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 calls us beloved by the Lord. When you look in the mirror in the morning, do you see the title above the person you see in the image as beloved in the Lord? Because that is the title that God has given you. That you are beloved by the Lord. He loves you so much. And he has poured his grace out onto you. And that has caused you to be transformed from the walking dead to become the walking alive. In John 1.13 it says that we're now children of God. Not born of blood. In other words the good old fashioned way. But born of God. Romans 4, 17 says that God gives life to the dead. So there is the walking dead and God comes upon the walking dead and transforms the walking dead and gives them life. Well, we got a great opportunity to enter in to hear a testimony of a sister in our church. Her name is Melanie. And she's gonna share in this testimony how the grace of God has transformed her life from being the walking dead to being the walking alive, all because of grace. Let's enjoy it together. 
My name is Melanie and I grew up in East Germany under communism. I felt as a child um, that I was lost, trapped and unreached. Often grew up um, fearing death and fearing where I'm going after this life is over. And when I had those kind of questions, nobody could answer them for me because under communism, atheism was preferred. I had no way of finding an answer. And then in 1989, the wall came down and my life started to change completely. I suddenly experienced freedom. My family experienced freedom and we could see West Germany for the first time. I saw family members for the first time. I saw colors that I've never seen in my life before. I smelled smells I'd never smelled before. In 1999, I was selected to go on a, a exchange program. I was sent to California, uh, specifically Riverbank, the city of action. And I was introduced to a young man named Ryan who um, started taking me to church, to Big Valley Grace. I've never seen and experienced anything like that before. My mind and my heart was trapped in my old upbringing and what I've learned before and what my family told me and how I was raised. But this music touched me. So many songs I could understand and that filled my soul. Ryan and many other people um, kept praying for me. Uh, Ryan even bought me a German Bible so I could understand more. But a lot of those words didn't even have any meaning to me in German, um, like grace and salvation. Um, all these were co new concepts to me that I didn't understand. In December of 1999, I went to bed and I said a prayer like, Dear God, I don't know if you exist and if you're real, but if you are, help me understand and make sense of this what other people are telling me about you that have a close relationship with you. I've tried on my own for so long, but I can't make sense of it. You need to change my heart, my mind and soul. Maybe even give me a miracle. Give me a sign that you are real, that you exist. From that point on, I think my life changed. In February of 2000, I went to a dance club with my friends from my international club and an older lady approached me as she was walking up to me. She had a crumbled piece of paper in her hand, and I thought she's asking me for money, but on the paper it says, um, Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. He saved my life. Let him change yours. Do you believe? I remember just shaking and being like, what does she want? Why is she asking me? Then thinking this all in my head and just shaking. And, and then finally she just says, what is your answer, Melanie? And I just answered, yes, yes, I believe. And even though I don't understand, and I didn't understand everything of the Bible, but I felt like God got a hold of me. And I shared later on with um, Brian, who's now my husband, uh, what, has, what I experienced. And in March of 2000, um, I officially asked Jesus into my life. And I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And then in April of 2000, I got baptized in the river. My life changed completely. The fear of death that I had as a child, of not knowing where I'm going, uh, 
was reassured I have hope and I have peace, that God is with me. I can be reassured if God pursued me and I chose him, that I have the hope and I will pray that my family also will, um, will come to know Jesus at some point in their life. My name is Melanie and this is how grace transformed my life. If you'd like, you can enjoy the full version of Melanie's story uh, in our online, Big Valley Grace online community. Grace transforms lives. It absolutely changes us. The power of grace is transformational. We've looked at truth number one, apart from Jesus, I'm dead in my sin. Truth number two, God loves me and made me alive with Jesus. Truth number three, I'm saved from my sin by God's grace. I love her line. I didn't understand all these things at first. And you know what? As a child, I didn't understand all these things. But we continue to go into the scriptures and we continue to be discipled and to have spiritual maturity grow in our lives as we understand more and more the truth about Jesus Christ. I'm saved from my sin by God's grace. Ephesians 2, 5, right in the middle of the verse, it is so simple. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. Remember, mercy is God, it's the wealth of God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is the wealth of God giving us what we don't deserve. And he pours his grace out onto us and he gives us that which we do not deserve. And it is an incredible expression of God's power. Consider that God has the power to do anything he wants. He can punish you for your sin. He can throw judgment at you. He can annihilate you. He can eliminate you. And he chooses to use his power to express grace to you. From his place of extreme power, he, he, he flexes his power by being gracious to you and to give you that which you do not deserve. In Romans 5, 6, it says, while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. So we're in a place of extreme weakness and Christ dies for us. We're in a place of extreme weakness. He's in a place of extreme power. And from his place of extreme power, he dies for us to show grace on us in our time of great weakness. It says, by grace you have been. This is very past tense. The language is, it's a done deal. It's been completed. By grace you have been saved. Romans 5.9 says, we have now been justified. God sees this as a completed work. It's done. By grace you have been saved. Romans 5.9 says that we're saved by him from the wrath of God. Remember, we're the walking dead marching to the evil king, enslaved children of wrath. And Jesus Christ comes and saves us from that situation. He saves us from the wrath of God. In verse 2 of To God Be the Glory, the song that we sang together this weekend. O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. I am saved from my sin by God's grace. That's truth number three. Truth number four is that grace transforms me, a resident of earth, into a citizen of heaven. In Ephesians 2, 6, it just, it shows it so clearly that grace transforms me, a resident of earth, into a citizen of heaven. It says, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That raised up, that is literally raised up from earth to heaven. That's the raising up from earth to heaven. With him, we're raised 
up with him. John 14, 3, Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back to get you, to take you to be with me so that you may be with me where I am. He's raised us up with him. It says that we are seated, raised us up with him and seated us. Now that's seated, that's a picture of the completed work of Jesus Christ because if the work wasn't done, Jesus wouldn't be sitting down. He's seated. The work has been complete. Ephesians 1.20 says that the Father seated him at the right hand when Jesus completed his work. It says that we're in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.21 says that where Jesus is seated is far above all other things. So think about anything you can think of. Jesus is seated higher. The next verse, Ephesians 1.22, says that all things have been placed underneath his feet. So the location where Jesus is seated It is high above all things, and all things have been placed underneath his feet. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See right there? It's in one person. It is one person. Acts 4.12 says that their salvation can be found in no one else. There's no other name given among men that we can be saved by. It is only in Jesus Christ. It is this one person that we can have salvation in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Truth number four is that grace transforms me, a resident of earth, into a citizen of heaven. Truth number five, this is the last one, is that God is showing kindness to me for eternity. God is showing kindness to me for eternity. In Ephesians 2, 7, it says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us, In Christ Jesus. You see that phrase right there, coming ages? Man, you want to learn about the coming ages? Flip to the right-hand side of your Bible. There's a book called Revelation. Read it, just not before bedtime. It is incredible what happens in that book to understand the coming ages. In Revelation 19, verse 7, it says, The marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Believers in the Bible are called the bride. The bride. We're the bride. Believers, collectively, not just in this church, All believers of all time are called the bride. We're referred to as the bride. And the groom is Jesus Christ. And there's coming a moment that in Revelation 19 explains is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where the bride of Christ and the groom, that there is a a marriage, there's a coming together. Incredible. In the coming ages that he might show. See that word show? I want you to imagine this. In eternity, you are God's show and tell. Show and tell has an object that people show and tell. In eternity, you are the object God is showing and telling. It says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. He's going to use us as the object of show and tell for eternity. It makes me wonder if God is the object of show and tell for me right now. Am I showing and telling God? He's planning to show and tell me for eternity. Am I showing and telling God now? It says that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable. Immeasurable. Here's a great passage that helps us understand the immeasurability of God. In Romans 8, 38, 39, it says, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and just in case you're wondering how long the list goes, nor anything else in all of creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean? That means I don't know the difficult thing you're going through right now, but it cannot separate you from the love of God. I don't know the crazy, horrible things that have happened in your past, but they cannot separate you from the love of God. And I do not know what's coming your way. And I don't know what's heading towards you tomorrow or the days to come. But they cannot separate you from the love of God. If God is planning to have you be his show and tell for all of eternity, you can be guaranteed he's going to make sure you remain in his love. God's planning to show and tell about your life for eternity. Nothing can separate you from his love. No matter how hard it is, how bad it gets, how horrible the circumstances are, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. In Romans 2, 4, it says that the riches of God's kindness is meant to lead us to repent of our sin. God is being kind, he's being gracious, he's being merciful for the purpose that we might repent of our sin. His kindness is meant to lead us to repent of our sin. It says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In him, in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5, 17, it says that death reigned in Adam. That's when we're in the walking dead. Death reigned in Adam. But that righteousness reigns in Jesus Christ. That's the walking alive. Righteousness reigns for those who are walking alive. In the third verse of To God Be the Glory, it says this. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done. And great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our worship and our wonder when Jesus we see. There is coming a moment we're going to see Jesus. That is going to be an amazing moment to see Jesus face to face, to experience the realization of our salvation for eternity with him in the presence of God. So why do I believe? Why do, why do I believe? Me. Why do I believe in Jesus? Well, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith means believing and trusting, placing my faith in Jesus. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. So why do I believe in Jesus? Because this verse says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and I want to place my faith in Jesus I want to believe in Jesus because this verse says that for by grace you've been saved through faith. That's why. That's why I believe in Jesus. Because for by grace you've been saved through faith. In Romans 5, 2 it says, through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I can do nothing to save myself, but I believe Jesus saves. I can do nothing to save myself, but I believe Jesus saves. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. See this word right here? It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives. It's a gift. It's not a result of works. What have our works gotten us? Our works, we're the walking dead in our own works, not a result of works so that no one could boast. Because here's the thing. If you could work for your salvation, you'd brag about it. And don't even try to tell me that you wouldn't. 
We're so full of pride and arrogance. If I could work to earn my salvation, I'd tell everybody. And God eliminates that from that even being a possibility right here. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. Now, I have a question. And this question is for every person who is here. Every person who's watching online. I think you should have an answer to this question. And this question is this. Are you ready to believe in Jesus and become a member of the body of Christ? Are you ready to believe in Jesus? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Are you ready to believe in Jesus and become a member of the body of Christ? Acts 16, 31, it says it so simply. What should I do? I should believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So what action step should I take right now? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. For me, it was on the bunk beds on 8-6-1986. For Melanie, it was in the winter of 2000. Is today the day for you? You are here and you know, I need the grace of God. I need the grace of God to pour on me stronger than the Denmark cataract. I need the grace of God to, be, to just flood my life and I need to believe in the Lord Jesus. And you're here today and you're saying, I know that's me. I know I need the grace of God. I know I need to believe in Jesus. Is today the day for you that you're gonna believe in Jesus? And if that's you and you know it, you know that it's you. You know today's the day. Man, I would encourage you, be bold and stand up because I would love to pray for you. If today's the day that you need to believe in Jesus Christ and you need to place your faith in Jesus, be bold and stand up. Don't let anything get in the way. Make today your day. I'm looking. I'm looking to see if anyone said. Who, who needs the grace of God? Who are here? Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Hey, that's wonderful. Up here. Awesome. That's great. There might be someone else. I won't know unless, you, I don't read mine, so I would not know that unless you were to somehow indicate right now. I'm going to pray for you guys. Don't sit down yet. I'm going to pray for you. We, we all want to pray for you. We're all so excited about what God's doing in your life. Who else? Who else? Okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for those. And you guys sat down. That's okay. I'm going to pray for you anyway. I'm praying for you. Oh, right here. We got more people standing right back there. Okay, that's awesome. All right. Okay. Oh, we got people up here. Sorry. Up and up here. Very cool. This is great. Grace of God pouring out onto your lives. I want to pray for you guys right now. I'm going to do that. Father God, Lord, I see all of my brothers and sisters who are standing right now. They are literally standing in public saying, I need the grace of God. God, I'm just asking, would you meet them right where they are? God, would you meet them with your grace right where they are? They are literally standing in public right now saying, I need to believe. God, help them. God, help them to believe. Help them to place their faith in you, Lord. God, would you help them? They're very publicly right now saying, I need Jesus. I need, to, I need his grace. Okay, for those of you who are standing, I would encourage you right now to tell God this. God, I need your grace. I think you should tell him that. God, I need your grace. God, I need your salvation. I think you should just tell him. Tell him that you need his grace. Tell him that you need his salvation. Say, God, Jesus, I need you. 
God, help me believe in you. Tell him that you need help to believe. Just, just tell him. And I also think you should thank him. And just tell God, thank you. Thank you that you've saved me. Thank you that you have given me salvation. I think you should tell God right now, thank you, God. Thank you that you saved me. Thank you that I have salvation. I think it'd be great for you right now just to tell God, God, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ in him alone for my salvation. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ in him alone for my salvation. Father God, Lord, we pray blessing over our brothers and sisters right now who are standing. God, would you do an incredible work in their lives? Lord, continue to draw them to you. You're doing something. Continue the good thing you're doing, Lord. And God, we pray blessing over our brothers and sisters who are very publicly right now standing and saying, I need to believe in the grace of Jesus Christ. And so God, would you bless them? And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our King and all God's family said, Amen. Hey, awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I want to encourage you if, you. if you were standing, wow, we got a great team. We'd love to pray with you after the gathering. And all those two doors are, we put two doors and then we put two doors on the other side of the two doors. It's just two doors and then two more doors. It's just a room we pray with people and that's it. We would love to pray with you, encourage you, and, and, and I want to I say something to those of you who are standing. But I also want to say this to everybody. And that is Jesus has a good plan for your life. Jesus has like a really good plan for your life. The way this passage ends, Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's got this great plan for our lives. Jesus calls us the salt of the earth. Because like salt's supposed to like have an impact. My grandpa would use this stuff called no salt. He put it on everything. And we was always like, hey, grandpa needs his no salt. Hey, go get grandpa his no salt. You know, grandpa needs his no salt. You know, grandpa's with Jesus now. Hey, grandpa can have salt now. Anyway, uh, he couldn't have salt, okay? He couldn't have salt. And so instead, he would use no salt, which is probably some kind of chemical that's not really good for you, but makes your, makes your food taste like salt, right? But no salt has no power because it's not salt. It has no preserving power because it's not salt. Jesus did not say, you are the no salt of the earth. He said, you're the salt of the earth because we're actually supposed to make an impact. The power of God working through us, which is why we've been talking about this vision. Love your actual neighbor. That, that our lives would actually make a difference like right here, right now with the people who are around us. To love your actual neighbor, this means every member of the body of Christ being led by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, evangelizing and discipling our actual neighbors and leading them to do the same. Let's stand together. Our team is gonna lead us in singing to God be the glory. Father God, Lord, we proclaim all glory to you. God, you be glorified. To God be the glory. Lord, we, we are so thankful for the great work you're doing right here in our midst. God, you are working. The grace of God is transforming lives right here in our midst. And God, we say to you, be the glory. And we say it and we're gonna sing it. And Lord, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said.